Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless. So I think it's in, we don't have to pull this verse up, but I believe it's in, man, now I think everything's in Galatians or Colossians, but I'm pretty sure it is in Galatians, <laughs> Galoshes, um, <laughs> where he talks Bible. about you can't serve two masters. Right. We right. talked about this a while ago. We, you can't serve um, Sarah and you can't serve the bondwoman. You have to cast one of them out. What he's actually doing is he's painting us a picture here saying you can't live in the old covenant and the new covenant at the same time. It is impossible. Uh, Jesus even says this. I can't remember where in scripture. He says it's impossible to serve two masters. You'll either hate one of them or they'll both start to hate you. Yeah, Matthew. Right. So why is he saying that? Who is he talking to? He's not talking about slaves. He's not. He's talking about the old covenant passing away and the new covenant coming in. And what he's trying to explain to all these Jewish people is, I know you've been really hardcore about the law for a long time. But the new and better covenant that I'm bringing you, you can't serve both of them. And what he said actually rings true. I mean, look at the Jewish people. They, they didn't. They chose to stay mm -hmm. with the old covenant because they couldn't serve two masters. Right. It's physically and literally impossible. Um, and so I believe it's Paul warns us about that. You have to cast the bondwoman out. And the bondwoman is the old, the old covenant. covenant. You have to. So the question, I'll bring it all the way back. Well, what if it's actually imagery, not imagery, what if it is just, he's just saying, you need to throw away the legalistic mindset of the law, what it brought you. Not necessarily get rid of the Ten Commandments. We don't, you know, you don't have to not abide by them. What if he's just saying, you don't need to hold people black and white true to those things, to the legalism that was there before, because the New Covenant, as long as you follow the what I told you, that's where you need to be at. Not necessarily that you throw the old covenant out. Not, you know what I mean? You don't throw the Ten Commandments out. I don't think it's I don't think it's one of those throw it out kind of things. I think it's the idea is that it's fulfilled in the new covenant. Right. If you do the new yes. covenant, so it's like it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to think about doing it because you're just going to do it. Yeah. Right. But the idea is that you can't be held prisoner to that. I mean, you read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Paul goes very hard on talking about how the law, um, we had no ability to fulfill it. We, we didn't have the ability. Mm -hmm. And it was actually the law of death. We, we could not fulfill this thing. It yeah. was going to kill us. Yes. So if you still subscribe to that mm -hmm. old covenant mentality, it's going to kill you. And you were by extension, going to kill other people like they were trying to stone that woman. And, and there's all these. So I, I think personally, we do have to toss it out because it doesn't, you can't have both. You can't say, well, I follow this set of rules. Okay. So what happens when you break the rules? Well, nothing because Jesus, well, then they're not really rules, are they? Because the new covenant covers. And at that point, Jesus wouldn't have atoned for the sins if you're not in the new covenant. Right. So you see how kind of jumping back to the old covenant almost undercuts what Jesus was trying to do on the cross. In theory, yeah. So we had to die to that thing, right? It says mm -hmm. that when Jesus died, we died with him. And then when he rose, we rose again with him as a new creature. Right. Right. Why do we have to be new creatures? Because the old humanity had to live under the law. Mm. That's all they could do. It's like living as a prisoner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> new. And the idea here is that when we're born again, now this is, gets really tricky and I don't want to question anybody's salvation. This is more of a critique on how the church teaches born again. Right. The idea, the actual idea is when we were born again, we are, A, supposed to look like Jesus, which most people say, but B, we're actually being born back into Adam and Eve's state, pre-fall. That's the whole idea. 
So we're actually being born again into the original purpose and value uh, in the garden. I feel like, sorry if you're not finished. I feel like, yeah, the church does a really bad job at teaching it. And I feel like people are born again. They're born back into the old law and they live as a prisoner. Like I lived for so long as a guilt. Like I just felt crappy for everything I did all the time. And it was rules. Like I didn't meet the mark. It was always about like meeting the mark and doing yeah, doing everything right because it was a rule, an expectation, not like... And when you failed, I'm sure that God has forgiven me. Because if I die tomorrow, will I still go to heaven? Yeah, and then so you ask for forgiveness. You do the whole thing. You ask for forgiveness again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Blah, blah, blah. And then you're born again, like, into the old law again. Like, and it's a r- terrible repeated cycle. cycle. Yeah. yeah. I see and, what you're saying. And what did Jesus tell him? It was Nicodemus, right? You have to be born again. Now, remember, Nicodemus was a spiritual man. Nicodemus was a pastor mm-hmm. of his day. Why did he have to be born again? Because he was following the law. Now, he might have been a really good lawkeeper. He might have been, re- you know, like yeah. a good old Boy Scout, <laughs> as far as the Jewish people were concerned. Um, they're called Royal Rangers, thank you. Oh, yeah, he was a Royal Ranger. But <laughs> Jesus is looking at this man who considers himself spiritual, who considers himself a child of God, and he's saying, I'm telling you, you have to be born again. Right. Because it's the religion that had to die. It's the old covenant that had to die. It's You're making very excellent points. It's like scary to think about how many, right? You can't like judge someone's salvation. That's hard to say, but like people who think they're born again, but they're still living as a prisoner. Because that's what people are taught. The beauty, the beauty of Jesus is, regardless of whether we're doing it right or doing it wrong, <laughs> and we're probably doing it mostly wrong. So are you wrong. going back to universalism? No, I'm going to grace. <laughs> yeah. That, let's say you're a Christian Let's say you are who you were 10 years ago, right? You love Jesus. You try to love people the best you can, but you're still technically wrapped up and bound up in all this old legalism. Thank God for grace. Yeah. Jesus sees your heart. Now, you may be doing your whole Christian experience wrong, but he sees your heart. So there's grace there. So I don't feel the need to question people's salvation. However, I will say... But that doesn't mean... Just because grace exists, like I think Paul says it, just because grace exists, does that mean we keep on sinning? Right, because right, then my next question comes in as, okay, people who were keeping their church pure, whatever that looks like for them, being legalistic to the law they identify with, mm-hmm. well, what does their heart look like? Because they're trying to do God's work. And they believe because they've been taught that it is God's right, work. But they're abolishing a whole subset of people, whatever the discrimination they're sure. putting out there. That's not God's work. That is clearly not what we're supposed to be doing. So where do we follow on that? Right. And and I think this is where, this is what <clears throat> I've had to make peace with that in, in saying Jesus' grace has got to be big enough to cover all that. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. Now, that doesn't mean they're not killing people in the meantime. Right. But it does mean They're not that perpetrating the wrong things. I would never go into a church. They would never do this. But if a church like that asked me to come and speak, I would never go in with the intention of like, oh my gosh, I got to get these people saved. Yeah. I'm not worried about their salvation. Right. That's Jesus's thing. I might come with correction. Yeah. But I'm not coming with the motivation of like, if I don't do what God wants, they're not going to be saved. I don't ever assume that because I assume that God's grace is big enough for us to be stupid humans. Mm -hmm. doesn't give us a free pass to be, but it does cover it when we're blind because realistically, just like Paul... There's scales there. They don't know yeah. what they're doing. You know, they and, think they're doing the right thing. And Jesus said it. Forgive them. They they don't know. Right. They're just stupid. In a lot of ways, like I think a they're shepherd would look at sheep. Yeah. You know? I love, have you seen that video? If you haven't seen it, um, there's this sheep that got stuck into like a ravine, oh, like yeah. a really tight crack, like maybe a little skinnier than this table. And, he, and like, so they're like pulling the back legs of this thing out. Yeah. So they finally yank this thing out like really hard. They get it out and it's like, it's a sheep. So it's dumb and it's scared. And it's like, and, and it, it runs, runs right back in. And it dives right back in and gets stuck again. I'm like, humans. Yep, that is- that's exactly what we do. <laughs> so I I think in a lot of ways, because we have a lot of shepherding imagery in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways Jesus kind of, in a loving way, of course, sees people as sheep. Right. They're that I just spent all this, all this time <laughs> yanking them out of that ravine. And he dove right back in. You know, Father, forgive them. They don't even know. They're just stupid. I think we need to just give an expert of, uh, excerpt of that so I can repost it on my Facebook and just tag a few people. You got to put the sheep thing with it. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tag myself. Let me, let me make it, that clear. I'm going to tag myself in it. Do you it's need to see so this video? Funny. It is hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so 
yeah, so I want to bring this all kind of back in as we somewhat try to land the plane here. If if Jesus wasn't super concerned about keeping the law alive, he was concerned about fulfilling it, but not abolishing it. So the big question is, and I think I asked this earlier, and I don't know, we, we hit on it. Why didn't, well, maybe we did touch on it. I think we said Jesus didn't abolish the law uh, because he had to fulfill it. Because he had to be that ultimate blood mm-hmm, bank, mm-hmm. right? Because he so can't break a law that he put in motion. Right. And and he's not going to break a covenant that God already set. In right, place, right, right. But he because can fulfill it. God and Jesus are one, mm-hmm, right? So he mm-hmm. had to fulfill it. That was kind of the ultimate loophole. C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis calls this deep magic, right? <laughs> um, because uh, they killed Jesus and he never sinned. So the law of sin and death, the inverse of that says anything that doesn't sin can't die. But they killed him. Mm-hmm. I love Dan Moeller put it this way. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the language is, but it says that, um, you know, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So Jesus actually gave up his life, right? Like at the end. Dan Muller said it this way. If Jesus never wanted to die, there wasn't a thing they could have done about it. Correct. He could have stayed up there for a thousand years and been speared a (laughs) million times. He had to give up his life. Why? Because the law, the inverse of the law of sin and death says that nothing that sins can die. Right. Yes. He gave his life. Mm -hmm. Not only the sacrifice of it, but he literally said, I'm good. Yeah, but then there's the other part of that too, which is one of my favorite things to think about, is that in the midst of everything that was going on, Jesus had to walk through that because of where we're at now, because of the new covenant. But he could have decided at any moment, was like, nah, bro, like we're good. Like it's all done. It's settled. I'm out. Right? Right. But he chose to walk through those things um, because that's what was needed. But at any point, Jesus could have been like, Going back to heaven, deuces. I'm out. Yeah. 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 And and at the end, that's literally what he did. Yeah. Now he fulfilled his job. He right. did everything he, did he had to do. Everything to the T. They did not kill him. No. No one killed Jesus. He gave his not not only in a sacrificial way, he said, I'm out. To fulfill what right. needed to happen. No, I'm just saying at the end of all that. Yeah. He just he it was said his choice. Right. He he could have stayed up there even after he fulfilled everything he came to fulfill. If he didn't want to leave, there wasn't a murderous thing they could have done to kill him because it doesn't work that way. Right. He had to give up his life. Right. So, um, let me see here. I mean, he was still human, so I wonder how that would have worked. Okay. This dark magic. This is where I want to finish here. I want to read Matthew 5, 17 through 20 really fast, and we'll kind of finish with this. Um, this is Jesus again. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of these uh, one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses those of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says a lot there. I want to focus on the first little part, though. Um, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So until Jesus did everything he needed? Well, that's the question. What does that mean for all to be accomplished? This is what's going to trip up a lot of people. <laughs> all, right? He didn't say some. He said all. So has including to be like the the futuristic belief that all of it. He's all of okay. He said all. It's up for interpretation. Right. Okay. So what he's talking about here is I didn't come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Right. However, until all is accomplished, you still have to follow this law. Not one letter or one stroke of a letter can even be subtracted from the law until all is accomplished. What does that mean? Like I said, I think a lot of people are going to get tripped up on this. All has to be accomplished. What chapter is this in? This is Matthew five seventeen through 20. I, re- I read from the NASB. Yeah, no, you're good. All has to be accomplished before the law can be taken away. Jesus came to fulfill it. Sorry. So that's the big question. <laughs> but yeah, but he was all that was needed. That that was it. The law needed to be fulfilled and it could not be changed 
until it was fulfilled and Jesus was the fulfillment. So all was accomplished. All right. So let me throw a wrench in there. Okay. And this is where I'm going to bring in the eschatology just to kind of all right. cap it all off. All right. If Jesus, God, however, whatever language you want to put on it, is still coming in the future to punish all of humanity for its sins. Okay. That must mean that there's something holding them accountable to those sins, right? Yes. Okay. So does that mean that the futurist point of view is saying that the law still exists? Because for all of humanity to be punished whenever this punishment is coming, it's because they're breaking a rule or a law. They're breaking something. Or is it the law under the new commandment that we just spoke about? But that law is law of grace. That law doesn't, remember, so there's there's different kinds of uh, covenants. Uh, man, I'm going to forget this now. I believe the first covenant, the, the law covenant, is a vassal covenant, which basically means you do A, B, and C, you're good. You break A, B, and C, here's the punishments for A, B, and C. That's a vassal covenant. It's a, you do this, you get this, good or bad. A grant covenant is what Jesus gave to us, says that I got this. Yeah. We can't break it. Right. We can't break the new covenant. Right. It is impossible because his blood covers it. Right. So, the, so then by default, him coming back, there would be nobody else for him to persecute because we would all be covered by the law of grace. Correct. So then futurism would be wiped out. So the question is, <laughs> are we saying, I, I'm using we as a general Go term ahead. here. Yeah. Are we saying as futurists that the punishment that is coming in the future is because God, Jesus, whatever language you want to put in it, is still holding us to the old covenant requirement. Because, based on Jesus' word there, um, all has to be accomplished before we can remove the law. I think it depends how you believe the end times are going to... It d depends what your eschatology is in this point, I guess, is what really would showcase how you interpret this verse. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. If there's still punishment coming, that means we're still being held accountable for something, right? Right. The law. What that would mean is that all has not been accomplished. But I think Jesus did cover all when he, when salvation, when, when all of that happened, everything we know that sure. Jesus did, I think that covered everything. Therefore, it was all accomplished and we are removed from that law. So, so if, it pokes holes in. So if, if that's true, if he accomplished everything, yeah. if that's the idea, if he accomplished anything, then it says... It says there that not the smallest letter or stroke of letter could be removed from the law until. So if you're saying that Jesus did accomplish all of it, yep. that means the law is now removed. Yep. That means what is here holding us accountable for this future judgment and punishment that's coming. This is where I get confused on the futurist understanding. Because to me, what it says is, and I don't even know if futurists understand this, what it's saying is that Jesus did not accomplish it all. They don't believe it's all accomplished until the final judgment comes. Unless the final judgment is interpreted as those who have not... And now we go back to questioning salvation. Well, what the final judgment can't necessarily mean in, in, in regards to this case, because we are talking about the law here. We're not talking about salvation and post-death because if, the law has no bearing on you if you're already dead no no no. yeah but i'm talking about I, i'm thinking about people who don't believe in jesus who speak out against that and say it's not real right they have no they don't live their lives in accordance to jesus they don't have a relationship they don't speak about him they don't do anything right in accordance to christianity so if jesus were to come back and they live that way they're the ones that have to be righted from that wrong i think that well, would be the only people right because going you... going back to what jesus said about the the coming disaster i'll use that language um he said there are going to be people who call out my name they're going to be people who claim to know me they don't know me and that disaster is coming on them so it doesn't work just for the gentile or the the non-believer mm -hmm. point of view you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying mm -hmm. like there are people who are going to be caught up in this destruction who claim to know jesus that's what he said narrow is the gate right so my question is, and this is kind of the, the question I'm posing to futurism, this is why I, I get excited about eschatology, because to me it's not just about what happens at the end. Mm -hmm. It points back to what Already did Jesus happened. do then? So you have to ask yourself, as a futurist or a partial preterist, did Jesus already accomplish everything? Yes. If so, then what are we still being held accountable for in this coming gloom and doom? 
Or if your belief system says, well, actually, I don't believe Jesus covered everything. That's what's coming. That's the rapture. That's the tribulation. That's all that stuff that's coming. Then are we still being coming. held to the old law? By this verse, we have to be. There's no other gray area. There's no way. There's one of the, he says it right here, until everything. I don't think people are realizing that relation between all of this. This is the old and the new covenant. This is the transfer of power, if you will, between the two. No, that makes total sense. But I don't think people are connecting those dots. We're not being, we're not being taught taught this. And even (laughs) interpreting these verses, nobody's relating them back to these things. This is a big problem. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> huge problem. And I'm not like trying to like pat myself on the back, but like Welton's not even hitting on this yet. I haven't heard Welton talk about this stuff yet. The fact that what's happening in our futurist eschatology point of view is actually undermining what Jesus did. Or if yeah, it's not... No, a, if it it's, is. It is. It's undermining what Jesus did on the cross. If it's not undermining what Jesus did on the cross, and if you're of the opinion that it's not all been accomplished, then what we're actually saying is then we're still... We're reinforcing the old covenant. Which means we all better mind our P's and Q's real hard right now. Because the, the law of grace actually isn't here yet. We're not under that yet. That's what we're saying. If... if all, but how could we not be under that? <laughs> Then how can there be coming? Because due? it has You're saying because it has not all been fulfilled yet. From a futurist so point of view, the law of grace hasn't come into play. Which means we're still technically oh, Jesus' words. We're still <laughs> under the law. So, so to me, it leaves me with two choices. Right. Either, oh my gosh, I'm not following all these laws to the T, and I really need to be because technically my belief system says I'm still under the old covenant. That would be the first thing that mm-hmm. I would uh, conclusion mm-hmm. I would arrive at, or. Oh my gosh, we actually, Jesus did accomplish everything. So what is all this doom and gloom I've been hearing about my entire life? And how does that fit in with what Jesus did on the cross? Now we have a big problem in our modern belief system because those those two ideas do not reconcile. They are, as Paul and Jesus put it, two masters. You have to pick which one to serve because you can't serve both. You want to know one of my you biggest... You can't. You have a lot of anxiety your whole life. <laughs> he said it's impossible. He said you can't do it. Yeah. He said either you'll hate one of them or they'll both hate you. Right. And that's, I think, when people start exiting the belief system. Man, how is this not super, not only confusing for the modern day church, I can almost directly point at this being one of the biggest issues that is the undercurrent of what's happening in our modern Christianity right now. This doesn't make sense. Either we're under the law and we just need to start following it real careful or this bad stuff that's coming is not really coming. And I... Because you can't have one without the other. Correct. Oh, boy almighty. So, um, I, I don't... Thoughts, questions, I don't really know. Like, that's it. Like, that's all I got. Like, this is, this is where I land almost every night before I fall asleep. I'm just like, yeah, that's it. That's all I got, Jesus. Like, I don't know where what else. Are, where do you want us to like, be here? I don't know what else you want me to do at this point. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, I, obviously, like, and... loving people. But, like, as far as, like, this is my thesis to the modern-day church. This is, it's like the, um, in every sci-fi movie, when they find out, like, the, 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 the there's a disaster coming to the Earth. Yeah, there's yeah. always that one scientist who's like, I've been telling them for years yeah, yeah. that the Earth was going to blow up. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. I feel like myself and a couple other people, like we're in that boat. We're like, we can't say anything. Like we've said everything there is to say. Yeah, but nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. The largest voice right now is saying the opposite. And because if this is taken seriously, it presents massive disruption. We've talked about this before. To the traditional church, yes. To the modern church. Yeah. Yeah, massive. Because now you don't get to throw the whole... Jesus is coming soon. better be ready, yeah, because Jesus is on his way. What that means is we have to just like... If there's not this gloom and doom, fear-based gospel, if none of this yeah, stuff can be Yeah, we just bring people used, to Jesus because Jesus is great. That means we just have to love people to love people? Yeah. That is insane. <laughs> I don't know how... To, my, I can't... My, my Christianity doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. I need, <laughs> I need to be scared of something. There's an ulterior motive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too seven. easy. That's too easy. You mean I just have to love people because, like, I'm just supposed to? Like, it doesn't... It sounds too easy. But this is what Jesus was saying the entire time. But but hold on, hold on. Just sit in that moment for a second. Doesn't that free you from so much? Just like sit there in that moment thinking, all I have to do is love people the way God loves me. 
and do my best to do that because grace covers me if, if I fall short. Holy cow. The moment. I'm good. We're good. Yeah. But all of this is circles back to when we talk about we want to be like Jesus. All of this circles back to one, uh, two points, I guess. The one you just covered. Love people as Jesus loved you. But to do that, you have to... You have to become Jesus in the way that you lay your life down all the time, no matter what, doesn't matter for who. Right. Because that's what Jesus did. If he's the model, and this is why I'm always going back to, and this is your true and honest worship, to, to become a living sacrifice. You have to live your life in such a way, this is how you, to quote Danny Silk, this is how you keep your love on, you lay your life down all the time for everybody, no matter what, because that's what Jesus would do. Right. That's it. But it's still so freeing. But I'm it is sorry. extreme. Right. It is absolutely extreme. You know, somebody knocks on your door tomorrow and says, I don't have a place to live. Guess you're moving in. Because that's well, what Jesus would do. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is like laying our life down no matter the cost. This is when everybody in your but that church. that could also look like helping them figure out where they can live. Sure. It could look a myriad of different yeah, ways. Yeah. But if you're the only option right there, okay, looks, we'll like, you got, looks yeah. like you're laying your life down. Right. Right. Um, That's opposite of the culture we live in, I think, these days. I think it's been the opposite of culture for all of humanity for all right. time. Everybody's right. selfish. Right. right. Like, <laughs> everyone watches out for themselves. Yeah. And that, that is the curse. That is the, that is the fall. The fall was being selfish, not laying your life down. And now we humans are still kind of living under that until we make the choice to die, be born again, and be born back into the Adam and Eve state pre-fall, which were just good. Now, laying our life down shouldn't mean anything because we have nothing to lose. So then could you just come, I'm just throwing something out here. Could you say that selfishness is the penultimate of the opposite of Jesus? The opposite of your walk with Jesus? Yeah, hands down. Because Jesus, the idea of self didn't really exist to Jesus. He was only, he only. He was a vessel. Right. In his mind, he only existed for other people. Right. He didn't exist for himself. Right. So, yeah, I think just being selfish is absolutely the, the opposite of being yeah. Jesus. Like, it's one or the other. Hear me, I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm not saying, like, living a life fully. No, no. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about, oh, living a life <clears throat> surrendered to God, like, I think what that means to a lot of people is, like, I go to church and I take my kids to youth group and I cry when the worship's good and mm-hmm. I read, you know, this book and that Bible study and I listen to the podcast. All those things are great, but to actually live your life surrendered to Jesus is to live your life surrendered to everyone around you. Yeah. Because that's how he lived his life. Right, right, right. Surrendered right. to everyone. I understand fully how difficult that is because you, you, it's a brain thing. You just got to get your brain ready to the, like, I don't exist today. I only exist for someone else. That's that's a hard thing to really pull yeah. off. Well, we yeah. still have a structure that we, of a life that we have to live. Like, you know, I can't just give my entire salary away. I have to pay the bills and my I think, house. I think this is why we see the imagery of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is like, hey, you want to follow me? Yeah. Let me go back to my, let me tell my, no, just come on. Drop pack, it all. Pack it up and move. I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm saying this is the imagery Jesus is giving us, though. When he's collecting his disciples, no, nah, man, can't go back. <laughs> we got stuff to do. You don't live. You don't live that life anymore. Within twenty to thirty minutes, Jesus meets somebody and says, "Your life's gone. Follow me." And that's it. And the, I mean, we see like even after Jesus died, Peter tried to go back and be a fisherman. And she's like, "What the heck are you doing? That's not who you are. You know that's not who you are. You're not a fisherman anymore. At least not in the way you think. Yeah, yeah, fisherman yeah. of men. Yeah, you're a fisherman of men. Uh, but th- I mean, that is what Jesus required of those disciples. Throw away your life. So does he require that now? So like tomorrow, if somebody calls me, says they need me, I just don't show up for work, lose my job. Think, that's what Jesus wanted from me. I think there's wisdom in that. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm that, saying. Yes, I think there's wisdom in like how we serve people. But I think... Wisdom is not selfishness. No. And I think that's what we have to kind of decipher here. Yes. You know, um, and, and sometimes, and, and this is where wisdom kicks in, right? Like, I, I can't remember who walks up to Jesus and they said, hey, I, I need some money. Silver and gold have I not. Could Jesus have dropped everything and gone and swept some floors or like and to give that guy? He could have. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do believe there's wisdom, right? Jesus didn't just stop what he was doing to give a guy money. He used wisdom and said, silver and gold have I not, right? Right. So um, I think there's wisdom there. But I think the idea is, is your 
identity as a believer, one built around how can I make more money? How can I get the things I want in life? How can I reach my goals? Not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. Right. Or is your identity as a human and as a believer, I'm going to try to create a life for myself, right? Because most people are. But I have to leave myself open every day to serve someone, even if it means detracting from the things I want. Even if it's a detriment to myself. Right. That's tough. And nobody's saying differently. Jesus even understood that was a tough call. He says it to the disciples. I mean, look at Paul. Paul had to just give up his entire identity to become the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's killing Christians before that. He was head honcho. And he gave up everything. And now he's hiding in, like, attics and basements to, to run away from, like, the, you know, the Jewish police. He gave up everything. I'm not saying it's easy, but it does seem that that's the only way. Seems really radical. It, well, it has to be. But, I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus... That's what makes Jesus, Jesus. He, he was completely radical. Love others like I love you. Right. Which is, that's a big ask, right? Because it's even bigger than love your neighbor as yourself. That's hard enough. Jesus won up that and said, love your neighbor as I have loved and you. And the difference between that is loving you, you might not love limits. Your, yeah. You might not love yourself all the time. Jesus has no limits on, on what right. he can do for people. So the new commandment that all the law and all the prophet hinges on is love other people limitlessly, which love really just Without means, bearing. right. Love really just means sacrifice. It means putting others before you. That's what love actually is. Mm -hmm. Marriage, kids, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's what love is. Mm -hmm. So to kind of bring all that back together, I think, I think there's a massive issue. There's a volcano brewing under modern Christianity. And I don't think anybody's listening. No, no one thinks there's a volcano down there. They're like, there's nothing. It's fine. And then, we, <laughs> and then we wonder, I'm not saying this is the only reason because there's a lot, but I think this is a massive reason, huge. We wonder why church attendance is declining exponentially now more than any other time in American history. Now, right now, it's only getting worse, which is crazy because our technology is only getting better. Our ability to reach people is growing, but our ability to reach people is diminishing. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There has to be a problem here. There's there's an issue. And you, I will never be convinced that the issue is, oh, well, the world's getting more sinful. No. The people in the church aren't free. They're not free. Uh -huh. And that's the scariest part about it. The people in the church are not free. And I don't blame the people in the church. I blame the systems. This is now systematic. Uh -huh. We talk about systematic racism. We talk about uh, systematic inequality, whether it's economically, socially, whatever. There is spiritual and religious religious systematic issues now and a lot of it comes down to bad theology whether that is intentionally being pushed maybe whether it's out of ignorance probably more Think likely that's most of it yes but whatever the case is it's still being perpetrated it's still being pushed and we have to find a way to figure it out because things will not get better right yeah this is only going to get worse people are going to continue to leave the faith and church right. You, you can take as much Advil and Tylenol as you want, but if you have a tumor growing inside of you, until you remove that thing, you're only putting a Band-Aid on it. Right. Temporary relief. You're still sick. And I think that's the whole problem, is that Christianity, I hate to say it, in my view, is very sick right now. Yes. And, and, it, and it's not just because, like, oh, skinny jeans and frappes and, First of and all, mental health. I know health. who you're quoting. No, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I think a lot of people think the, the problem with modern Christianity is our generation. Right. Like, how we've approached it with right. our very laissez no, attitude. No, because our parents' generation was the largest exodus at a church, so it's obviously not our generation. Sure, but I think, I mean, I think, you know, the, the generations before us look at us and they're like, oh, like, they wear jeans to church and flip-flops. They, they have themselves they have, their own idol. Well. I think they think that we've just watered it down. Yeah. Um, which, whatever. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But I think the bigger point is that I don't think our culture, how we are approaching, I don't think skinny jeans is and presentation is the issue. Mm -hmm. I think there's deeper. It's always been a heart issue. I, sure. I, I don't think it's sure. ever been surface level. Sure. But it's, it's whether we're just now seeing the repercussions of it, I do believe it's generational. I do believe that this is something that's been festering for generations and generations and generations. I think maybe now we're just starting to see the fruit of that. Mm -hmm. The negative fruit, if yeah. you will. 
our parents' generation and our generation, I think, are now reaping what has been sowed for, by my estimation, roughly 100 years or so. Yeah, I mean, but think about also the good that's come out of some of that. So we have people who grew up in a, an environment where if you were different at all, you were cast out, you were... You, you were not part of that system or whatever you want to call it. And now people like you and I, our age, are looking at others and they're saying, listen, my God loves you for exactly who you are. And that means I love you, too. And you are welcome here with me. Sure. And I think our generation is one of the first, if not the first, to really try to push that. Yes. And I would agree with that. I think 100% people, our generation, our age, our, our mindset are the first to come out and say, exactly who you are that's how you come and that's what jesus wants to love but not to the not i mean it is at the expense of a lot of other christianity yes like a lot of christianity hates that that is our stance right yeah now. well because they're like you're enabling poor behavior that's clearly unbiblical because there's a legalism that still exists right. there right right, so right right kind of tying back into right. everything we've mm-hmm. been talking about right um yeah I, I don't know to me this is the thing that needs to be solved This is one of those, I'm not saying if we fix this, if we got this into the heads and hearts and minds of all the Christians in the country, that everything would just be sunshine and rainbows tomorrow. No, I think this is going to be an ongoing situation until everything is absolved. But I do think that if people could really start swallowing this pill, we would put ourselves on a path to dig our way out. Yes. As of right now, from where I'm standing, we are not even equipped to dig out yet. Yeah. In fact, I feel like we're just digging deeper in a lot of ways. We're just getting deeper into that hole. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if we start getting some of these things we've been talking about, then I think we're finally being equipped to start to recover. It's not going to be perfect day one, but I think we get our children's generation and the generation after them begin to see the, the fruit that we're sowing now. But if no one listens, what do we do? You know, because at this point in my faith journey, I have zero concern about my salvation zero. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. I'm not crying in an altar about it. It it doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, in your mind that's set. I worry more about dying in a horrific way, like an alligator eating me, than I do what's going to happen. That's called anxiety. You should call a doctor. Well, I'm just saying like... I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the quote unquote, the anxiety of death, like the physical yeah, part yeah. scares me way more how, than like what happens after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I just want to die in my sleep. I think that's how most people yeah. want to go. You know, just wake up and like, you know. But anyway, but my salvation now is out of question. Like I, right. I'm post death, not a problem. So what Mid-death, that means problem. What that means for <laughs> me in my my faith journey is I'm not worried about the end now. That's fine. Yeah. I'm worried about now. What's happening now in our systems, in our faith journeys? What kind of Christianity is our kids going to inherit? Right. Is it going to be the ones that we were handed? Doom, gloom, destruction. I really, truly hope not. I hope not, too. But what I'm saying is I don't see a lot of light at the end of that tunnel as far as, okay, but what's going to change that? I don't see that yet. So where my faith journey has led me is to doing podcasts, to doing videos, just to try to stir the pot and get the conversation going so that more voices can get out there so we can start addressing finally getting these issues to the forefront. And if I'm wrong, theologically, I'll totally eat this. I have no problem with that. But even if I'm wrong, stirring up the pot is a good thing because right. we need to have these conversations. Because either way, it's I've, I've said this before, either way, you're one step closer to figuring out what God is, right. who God is to you and what your relationship looks like. Right. Asking questions only gets you closer to the truth. Right, yes. Not asking questions only validifies what you've already thought you knew. And keeps you in condemnation, in legalism, in mm-hmm. the the structure of something that you may not to be. Right. If, if that's where you're at. Now, someone like a universalist, like a Rob Bell, you know, they're probably not feeling too much of that. No. Which, you know. Um, but yeah, so th- this is kind of where I'm landing. I-, I think, you know, I talked a lot about eschatology the past month or so. But this is the whole reason why. It's not to one-up anybody else's eschatology. It's not to say how dumb I think the futurists are. It's because at the core of all of this, I think this is a massive problem. To me... I mean, yeah, you just blew a lid wide open. Well, to me, just the summary statement would be, if if we hold on to futurism, then we also have to hold on to the law. There's no other way around it, based on scripture. 
if we don't hold on to the law anymore, that means we can't hold on to futurism. They, they, they can't be together. There's just no way scripturally to reconcile these two ideas. So now, if, as you who's listening podcast or on Facebook, we have to address that question. What do we do with these two things and how do we solve this problem and how do we move forward? I'm open to both. I'm open to someone showing me, actually, dude, you're off. We need to follow the law. Right. Because we're still under that thing. Right. You better be careful. Then I'm going to get back in my Bible and like really figure out how I'm going to live my life to follow this law. Right, 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 right. right. Um, but, the, but the same and equal is true as well. If the law is gone, then that means I need to take a really close look at what I believe about futurism, the book of Revelation, Matthew 23, Matthew 24, all the doom and destruction that's coming and say, but how? If Jesus died for this, then how is this still coming? So I think it's both. And I'm open to both. But I think um, this is the, the big question that, to me, this is the one thing. If I could get one thing out into the Christianity Yeah, this zeitgeist, is huge. That's people the thing. need to be talking more about this relation of the, co- the old covenant and right. your future, your eschatology right. belief. And, and like I said, the only reason I even care about eschatology is because of this right here. Right. I, I don't really care but, about all the other stuff. And I've, I've said this earlier. This is a problem in the modern day church because nobody, I even went to Bible college, nobody has brought the relationship between the two beliefs together and how they correlate with each other. Those are direct correlations between each other. And We need to be talking about that more. And, and we yeah. did it with five or six verses. And we could do it with more. I right. Mean, there's right, way right, more right, verses right, right. to back this up. I was just having to pull stuff up at random. We did it with five or six verses. And we've done it in a span in about an hour and 40 minutes minus interruptions. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't, you know what I'm saying? Like what, yeah. what we're doing here isn't some like, oh, this is going to take six months for us to read. No, I mean, I could sum it up in five minutes if somebody right. asked me at this We point. could write a pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like it would be enough. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Small business card, large one. I think right. four by six. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the old church pamphlets. You know what I'm oh, talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah. The one. I'm thinking Fantastic yeah. Beefs. The yeah, yeah. Fantastic Beasts where she's oh. standing. I said beefs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It is fantastic. But yeah, I mean, so I guess what I'm saying is this isn't difficult. It's going to take some logic. It's going to take you to kind of reassess and, and look at things. But I think if we laid it out there, this isn't hard. But but it is going to cause you to scratch your head and be like, oh, where do I land on this? Right, where do I land? And then go out and do your own research. Because if A plus B equals C, then you cannot believe D plus A equals right, C. Right, right. It won't make sense. Mm-hmm. So... Um, let's close up with final thoughts. I've probably said all I need to say. So yeah. final thoughts, questions, concerns. Did we get anybody on Facebook? I know people have come in and off and I know it dropped out a few I times. Just, I wonder if he finished his shower already. <laughs> well, he, he listens to the podcast, so he'll catch it later if he, if he dropped off. But Cool beans. Anybody else get on there and say anything? If not, that's fine. I, I didn't see anything. I know we cut off a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Negative. Um, I just think, I think I've said this before, I, final thought. Um, just be open to hearing other perspectives, especially if you're someone in the Christian world already that like you think you know you know a ton of what there is to know about the Bible. Just be open to hear something else because honestly, like I feel like I lived as that prisoner for a really long time in church, not free. And then when I became free, I think like my life has changed and I'm not you know, struggling daily, begging for forgiveness daily, wondering if I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> like, and what's funny is I, there's so many Christians out there that would look at that perspective and think that it's irresponsible. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. To, to not, what they would say, to not walk around with the fear of the Lord. Well, and and you don't want to feel like, like, like you're better than everybody else, but you feel like on this new level. Like once you hit this freedom, you feel... Like, you feel sorry for them, and you feel... Yeah, I think it does really create empathy. You know, not pity, empathy. Yeah. I, I can look back... Well, because at, you've been there. Right. I can look back at myself 10 years ago and struggling with all the things I was struggling with, and like, dude, the Christianity I believe, the Jesus I believed in did not serve me in any way, because the Jesus I believed in didn't actually exist. It was a... Uh, a mannequin of what I thought Jesus should be. It well, was based on what you were being taught. Correct. And and some of my own assumptions. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So coming out of all that and then like actually searching to find out who God is, who Jesus is, I met this completely other person. I'm like, oh, 
this makes way more sense. Yeah. And I'm way happier and I'm way more secure. Doesn't mean life got any better. I mean, still ups and downs and, and trials and, and things like that. But like what's happening on the inside, substantially better. Right. And I, I think touching on the same thing, I've talked to you guys about it, was feeling the condemnation every time you think about your salvation, your relationship with Jesus, based on the legalism that you were taught before. And now as I move further and further into this new relationship, this new idea, these new things that I'm learning, the more freeing it is on the inside. I'm still the same person. I still believe in the same Jesus. Um, and I still interact with people the same way. But the internal, the spiritual life that I have is so much more free. Sure. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that until they're on the other side. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I don't even, I don't want to relate it back to this, but like a drug addiction, you know what I mean? Like you're in it, you think it's great. Oh, I can, I can handle, I can manage it. When you're out of that, you realize how much more freedom your life is in. And I'm not yeah. saying that Christianity in the modern day world is an addiction, but it is definitely something that's affecting people to the to the point where they don't realize what they're in. They don't realize the mud they're walking through when you could be walking on dry land somewhere else. Sure. Yeah. And just to kind of cap this off, and I'll challenge you here for a second. Oh, you boy. said you have a friend who's in uh, psychology or psychiatry. I can't remember. Really want to interview your friend. Oh. Really bad. Okay. Because here's my <laughs> idea. Facebook, podcast, let me know if you, if and if you know anybody out there that I can talk to. I need them to actually like hold credentials. That's yeah. got to be. Okay. I want somebody who can walk me through um, childhood trauma okay. and or just trauma in general. Okay. Um, because I want to pull some things from the actual psychology of it. Like what happens when a young child is goes through a very traumatic situation. Maybe it's molestation, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's uh, a, a parent dying yeah. or something like that happening. Yeah. I want to get all, I want to get a very good understanding and then take that into the adult world as well. What happens to adults when they go through similar things. Right. And then I would love to try to correlate some of this to spiritual abuse mm. and say, what are the psychological and spiritual repercussions of spiritual abuse. You want to see the correlations between I want to see if there is any correlations because you I know for a fact tons of people who Yeah, have I'm been just thinking about things right now, yeah. spiritual abuse. And so if we can medically look at a child who's 5 years old, 7 years old, and we can say, look, statistically and medically and uh, from a psychologist perspective, when a child of that age goes through things like this, here are some things you can expect. They lash out. They, you know, you know what I'm saying? Some of, the, some of the things that happen. I want to talk to somebody who can tell me when, whether they're a teenager or maybe a college age or even an adult goes through spiritual abuse, what are some things we can expect? I might be able to give you one better than my friend. Okay. But anyway, that's, that's a conversation. I'm not qualified to, to know any of that no, stuff. No, but I, I have a Christian uh, psychologist that I have yeah we can talk Sweet. about it later so yeah. that that's kind of the next thing i want to talk about i want to talk about church hurt and spiritual abuse yeah, yeah, yeah. and and what those correlations could be and instead of just spanking people who've walked away from right, the church right, right, or right. who are lashing out in a bunch of other ways right um you know say hey like i want to i want to be able to identify spiritual trauma in people right and i don't i don't does anybody teach that right now in their churches <laughs> nope nobody's talking about spiritual trauma at all nobody but we talk about physical trauma right mm -hmm. we talk about child <coughs> child abuse and all those we things we talk about consequences of being taught poor poor christianism if you will sure sure but we don't talk about the trauma that comes from it. right and i and i i Ooh. wonder oh, i wonder if we can just solve some things um, and begin to identify some things when people go through that church hurt. And when we say like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure we could just come up with a, a bunch of really cool things as far as how to identify um, spiritual trauma. What are some of the repercussions of spiritual trauma? And then lastly, how do you help people heal through spiritual trauma? Right. Without just saying you need to go back to church. Because that's where they were hurt. <clears throat> like that is yeah. not the best place to. I've literally told somebody before, don't go back to church. Because I, I can't find a good one to send you. They will eat you up because of some of the things that person was struggling with. I would like to th 
throw a comment out there, but get in community with people you can trust. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. But it doesn't necessarily have to be in the does four walls. It does not have to be church. Right. It could just be people who love Jesus who meet in a Panera or something. Right. You know. Yes. But yeah. So that would be something I'd be interested in doing if you can connect me or if anybody in the Facebook or podcast world wants to connect me. I would love to have that conversation. Me too. And I would, I, I would love it because then I could f- really come in as a student of that mm-hmm. and just sit back and let somebody like teach mm-hmm. me. I would mm-hmm. love that. Anyway. Um, uh, I know we kind of did final thoughts. Anything before we get out of here? Um, big one for me. I think uh, this has given me a lot to think about, and I thought I knew where I stood on these things, and I do, but I think all this relating back, these sorts of ideas and this theology, I think that if you're like, wow, all of these things open a new mindset for me, do what I've said. Ask questions, research, figure out where you stand on that, because this is a huge thing that we just talked about, and I think it blows your theology wide open wherever you land on that. I think there's also freedom in losing the legalism and the condemnation that people have walked through. I've talked about that for myself before. So if you're standing there and you're not quite sure where that's at, keep walking, keep going, keep asking questions, find mm-hmm. people you can talk to. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add? No. <clears throat> I just thought about a quick verse really fast. I think it's Romans. It's either five or eight. I'm pretty sure it's eight. There's therefore now no condemnation, condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Well, where does condemnation come from? It comes from the law. So, do you see what I'm saying? Like even in the very simple verse that we all know, there's yep. no condemnation if you're in Jesus because Jesus removes the law. Right. It's so simple if you can just get the idea right. of it. Anyway, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> I need some Chick-fil-A. We got time. I hope you guys... We got to go to the Lord's calories? <laughs> sure. Down for the Lord's calories. Okay. They, they won't magically disappear, but sure. No, but the, <laughs> Jesus, the, I give it back to Jesus. It's fine. I don't know if I said this in the last podcast, but um, I saw this meme the other day. It's like Southerners be like, uh, dear Jesus, like, please make this meal nourishing to our bodies. <laughs> and it's like yams <laughs> and ham. Butter. And like Salt. butter. <laughs> it's just so funny, like how we pray like that. Jesus, nourish us to my body. It Amen. should be more like, Jesus, if this is a heart attack coming, <laughs> spare me, please. <laughs> Because it's so good. (laughs) Anyway, that's all I got. I hope you guys have a good evening. If you're listening to this podcast, I'll probably put it out sometime next week. But you don't know what day it is on the podcast. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, Anyway, uh, if you're watching, though, on Facebook, uh, it is Wednesday. No, Wednesday. So this this will if you want to hear the whole thing, it's entirety without the interruptions, because I will cut it. This will be out Monday morning. 5 a.m. I think is when we release it. Hold them to it, guys. 5 yeah. a.m. I try to get it out so if you're like driving to work in the morning, you can listen to it if you got a commute. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Start your week off right. Yeah. Anyway, all right. You guys are awesome. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, if you're watching this later, go ahead and comment here. We'll still try to answer any questions or thoughts or concerns you have. Uh, other than that, we're working on the stream. We'll make it look a little bit better every time. Uh, but yeah, you guys have a good week and we'll talk to you later. Bye.